From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Thursday, April 7th. A conservationist air force takes journalists and policymakers on trips above sensitive areas. Their latest flight looked at the country's last uranium mill. It's located in southeastern Utah. Justin Higginbottom took to the skies with the organization. I'm at the small airport in Blanding. We're waiting for the wind to die down. Our pilot today is... Bruce Gordon. I'm the founder and president of EcoFlight. Gordon is a lifelong climber. After the Vietnam War, he was able to train for a pilot's license through a veterans program. Once he could fly, he had this idea. EcoFlight is the latest iteration of conservation flying. And what we do is we fly political decision makers, media representatives, concerned citizens, scientists, you name it, and give them the aerial perspective. We feel strongly that uh, taking a look at the big picture really will help in some of the decisions. So we try to educate and advocate for the environment with small airplanes. Like this one out on the runway, it's a single-engine Cessna 210. Oh gosh, we work on everything from, uh, you know, God, I've been doing this for so long when the, uh, the sky's down here in the Canyonlands Moab area where we're just blue like a Colorado Blue Mountain Day. You know, we used to get those kind of days and, uh, you know, that so air pollution issues. Just recently I was out in California looking at lithium mining going on in the Salton Sea and also in Nevada. Uh, From the sky, Gordon's observed impacts of grazing, drying rivers, oil and gas drilling, coal mining. Renewable resources. Where do you put these resources? Are they an issue? Are they a problem? Tracking endangered species? I could go on and on. I've been doing this a long time. 35 years to put a number on it. In the winter, he heads to Central America or Africa. But today's flight will put us over the White Mesa Mill, the country's last conventional uranium mill. We'll also be seeing the landscape of the recently declared Bears Ears National Monument. Gordon's group ran flights over its canyons and mesas, showing passengers the value of the land. And my latest statement is I don't want people looking out the left side of the airplane or I don't want to look out the right side of the airplane. I want them to look at the landscape, you know, and not listen to everybody jabbering about different things. You know, what, what's right for you? What do you care about? And Hopefully you'll learn about uh, the issue you care about and then advocate for what you care about. These flights were coordinated with Grand Canyon Trust. They're a nonprofit that has opposed the White Mesa Mills operations. Their recent report says the mill has stored more than 700 million pounds of radioactive waste. They claim it's cheaper to send the waste here than to disposal facilities. The wind has finally calmed down and so we climb into the tiny plane. Clear! Tim Peterson of Grand Canyon Trust is along for the flight. He points out ponds where the mill deposits waste. One of the ponds is dry. Here's Scott Cloud. He's the Ute Mountain Ute Environmental Programs Director. He was also on the flight. Well, it certainly looks like um, there's no more liquid on cell 4B than there was last summer, which was, of course the source of a Clean Air Act violation and a lot of press coverage. Nothing's really changed. The Ute Mountain Ute tribe lives less than five miles from the mill. Leaders there worry about potential pollution from its operation. Late last year, the EPA blocked the mill from accepting Superfund site waste because of air quality violations related to those ponds we saw from above. It's clearly still out of compliance, which is a concern for us in that 
you know, it's emitting more radon than it should. It's a clear violation of the Clean Air Act. And if you're willing to go there, where else are you willing to go? Utah regulators have approved the White Mesa Mill business model. They're operating completely legally. And owners' energy fuels resources say they aren't only not polluting, but they provide economic benefits to the rural region. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. It's the first week of reservations at Arches National Park. Near the entrance booth, Jenny Atkinson is taking a few photos of her family with the park sign. They're just a few minutes early for their timed entry slot. Yeah, we got it in January, I think. Like right when it opened, we got the reservation time. So. What time is your reservation? Two to three. Okay, so you're 10 minutes. on time. Yeah, we're like five minutes early, Hopefully 10 minutes early. <laughs> she says they're excited to see their number one destination today. Delicate Arch. Oh, yeah. Atkinson is in a Facebook group related to national parks, and she says she got the information about the timed entry system that way. Lisa, planning a trip for her friends, found out on the National Park Service website. I just wanted to look and see what to do in the park, and then it, it was it just came right up and said that you needed reservations. I think it's a good idea. I mean, I'd rather have a reservation than sit outside for hours to get in. That's one of the central issues the Park Service is attempting to solve at Arches. The hope is timed entry will spread visitors more evenly and efficiently throughout the park. That way, Arches staff doesn't have to close the entrance gate whenever there's too many vehicles and not enough parking inside. We have not had to implement a temporary closure since time the tree began, and I think that that's really one of those primary goals of this program. Kate Thomas, public affairs specialist for the Southeast Utah Group of National Parks. It's great for us to have timed entry so that folks can secure a timed entry ticket and, and have a guarantee that they can enter the park on that date and time. So we really do hope that it provides more reliable access and really improves that visitor experience. The Park Service announced the pilot timed entry system back in December. And since then, they've worked with local news organizations, the Utah Office of Tourism, and Grand County's Office of Economic Development to get the word out. There are also electronic road signs near the Arches entrance flashing, Advanced Ticks Needed, April through October. That's how Vichy's family found out about the reservation system. They're on a Four Corners road trip. No, yeah, we just made a random plan today uh, to check the Arches, and uh, we just started seeing the signs that said, advanced ticket required. We're going to try our luck today. Um, I'm not sure you know, if you're going to be able to get inside or not. He's not alone. Thomas says that so far, about 10 to 15 percent of people are pulling up to the entrance booth to see if they can still get in. The park did expect this to happen. We were planning on about a 30 percent rate of folks that just didn't know that the program existed. So we're actually doing a little bit better than we we thought we were in that regard. Tickets at Arches are required from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. daily through October. As I spoke to folks near the sign, Arches employees began putting up some temporary barriers in the 10-minute parking area. Thomas says that's to prevent traffic from backing up onto Highway 191 once tickets are no longer required at 5 o'clock. For some folks who don't have a reservation, we've told them that they can just come back at 5 p.m., which is great. 
we we absolutely want them to come and enjoy their park but we found out the very first day of the pilot that a lot of folks decided to stage in that 10 minute parking uh, lot just starting at about 4 p.m so we've reduced the amount of parking there just to try to mitigate that and, and prevent that traffic from spilling back out onto the highway Arches staff say they do expect a 5 p.m. rush all season long. Other national parks with reservation systems like Rocky Mountain and Glacier have also experienced these evening surges. But Thomas says so far that 5 p.m. line has cleared relatively quickly. Sierra from Florida didn't want to wait, though. Without a ticket, she found a different workaround. It's uh, reservations only from like 6 a.m. to 5 p.m., but they said it would be really busy after 5 p.m., So I went to a camp spot, then woke up at like 4 a.m., came in, and then took a nap in the visitor center parking lot, and then did everything. So that's how I got around it, because I couldn't get a spot. The park service is targeting 2,700 vehicles per day for entry at Arches. That's based on their average peak visitation from 2019. Although timed entry caused a bump in her trip, Sierra says she did see the need for it. I think it's a, a great way to keep it let, not overpopulated, like the park, so people actually enjoy it more. But someone only designated this one day to go, and then they couldn't. That'd be really bad. That's the only thing that I don't like about it, is it might ruin some strict vacation planning. But I think the system is good in other ways, because too many people being here could like ruin some things. Arches National Park is releasing tickets three months in advance. Currently, tickets for July are on sale, and they do have a certain amount of next-day tickets available. Thomas says those were selling out early this week. She says the Park Service is likely to tweak the reservation system as it's running. You know, we can really adapt this system. It's very flexible. And so we're going to be looking at our parking lots. We're going to be looking at our entrance line wait times. And we're going to try to maximize access as best as we can as this program is implemented. To learn more about the pilot timed entry system at Arches National Park, you can visit the show notes of today's news at our website and podcast. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, April 7th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.